welcome back. We are moving into the topic of election today. We have been talking in this series about Arminianism and Calvinism, two theological positions uh, that really revolve around, in this debate at least, salvation, how someone comes to faith in Christ. Uh, Election, the topic of election is often uh, what can trigger this whole conversation for people as we think about things like election or predestination. What in the world does election mean or predestination? What is it about? Um, And so that's what we're going to talk about today and see where these different positions um, end up. So having paused over the last two episodes to answer two core objections that Arminianism posed to Calvinism, uh, let's move to election to keep working through where we disagree theologically. So we've seen that Calvinists believes that uh, Calvinists believe that God single-handedly saves sinners by giving them new hearts they receive and rest in Jesus. And in considering these things, what you're going to notice or what you'll notice is that Calvinists put the emphasis on God's decision, not ours. And this brings us to the idea of election. So all Christians believe in the reality of election, okay? All Christians believe in the reality of election. It's in the Bible. Now, we may disagree about what it means, but we believe in the reality of it. There's no arguing that the Bible identifies certain people as elect, okay? Furthermore, Calvinists and Arminians perhaps all Christians, agree that the elect are those who believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? You're elect. Are you elect? Then you either believe in Jesus now or you will. The question is, does election lead to faith or does faith lead to election? Does election lead to faith or does faith lead to election? This is precisely where Calvinists and Arminians disagree. Arminians believe that God elects those whom he knows ahead of time will believe in Jesus. So one becomes elect, someone becomes elect because they they will choose to believe in Jesus one day. So logically, logically, personal belief in Jesus comes first, in a sense, and is the condition for election. For Arminians, election is conditional upon one's future belief in Christ. On the other hand, uh, Calvinists believe that God elects those whom he elects. He does, he, he does know ahead of time who will believe in Jesus, uh, but this future belief isn't the condition of election. Uh, one becomes elect because God elects them, full stop. Therefore, because they're elect, they will believe in Jesus one day. So logically, election comes first, and then personal belief in Jesus is the result of that election. So for Calvinists, election is unconditional. Now, as you can hear in that, the Arminian position on election protects and guards their understanding of the need for people to freely choose Jesus and thus preserve that genuine love for God as they define it and understand it. And it and, and you can listen to the last episode to kind of understand that that reality more. If election is unconditional and it's the cause of faith, then Arminians think this is going to violate the character of God, and it's especially going to violate our personal love for God. But if election is simply the acknowledgement of who will believe in the future, then Arminians can maintain their position uh, of God's character as they understand it, and the nature, uh, especially the nature of genuine love as they understand it. 
Now, as you can also hear in this, the Calvinist position on election makes perfect sense with everything else that's been said by Calvinism. If God single-handedly saves people, then he's choosing who to have mercy on. It, it's really as simple as that. That's election. If God single-handedly saves people, then he has to choose who to single-handedly save and have mercy on. That's election. Someone comes to faith in Christ because God elected to save them through faith in Christ. What is known as the, what, what's been known by theologians and preachers as the golden chain of salvation, along with other biblical texts, convinces me personally of this. Okay. So Romans 8, 29 to 30 says this, for those whom he, speaking of God, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's the chain. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So to see what this is saying, we got to work backwards. Let's work backwards. If someone is glorified one day, it's because they were justified. You can't be glorified and never have been justified through faith in Christ. And if they were justified, it's because they were called. So Calvinism, this, this called here, is the irresistible grace of God at work. This isn't just a call like, like you call your kids to the dinner table, but sometimes they resist it. This call is God awakening someone from the dead and giving them faith in Christ. It's this irresistible work of God that we've talked about in this series. And if someone was called working backwards, it's because they were predestined. And if they were predestined, it's because they were foreknown. Now, at this foreknew step, this is where Arminians say this foreknowledge is God's knowledge ahead of time. It's just knowing something beforehand, before that thing actually comes to pass. But the word used here, translated foreknew, is a word of personal knowledge. Okay, personal knowledge. Think about how the Old Testament um, talks about uh, a man and a woman knowing each other. Sometimes babies result from that knowing, if you catch my drift. Sometimes when the Bible says a man knew a woman, um, it's talking about intimacy that results in sometimes a baby. The point here is that this knowing is not just knowing information ahead of time. It's, it's not just knowing what's going to happen in the future. It's a relational knowing, as a matter of fact. God's foreknowledge here is a personal knowing, not just having information ahead of time. Okay, Romans 8, 29 to 30, this golden chain of salvation shows that eternal life and glory or glorification is the logical conclusion of God's electing foreknowledge, not the other way around. For Arminianism, the chain should read something like this. For those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also foreknew and predestined. In other words, his foreknowledge and predestining and electing work is all in light of those who would be justified through faith. But the text doesn't read that way. The way it reads is that our glorification, our justification, our calling is all rooted in God's foreknowing us personally and predestining, predestining us for very good things. If I might add my objection here to Arminianism's view, Arminianism's view of election at this point, it seems election in Arminian theology amounts to little to nothing. 
To be elect by God simply means that God knew ahead of time that you would believe in Jesus. And so my question is, what is the significance of that? Is that just a title? And, and perhaps Arminians would say, yeah, it's, it's just a title. Okay. Um, what, but, but what is the significance of it? After all, I already know that God knows everything ahead of time. So why do the scriptures repeatedly emphasize that key piece of information uh, that God knew that I would believe ahead of time? Is that all I'm supposed to think about every time I read about election in the Bible, that God simply knew who would believe ahead of time? In other words, every single time someone is called elect or a group of people are called elect, um, is that just simply saying God knew ahead of time? That this person would believe. That's all I mean by the title of being elect. Or does it have more significance than that? I think it has, according to Romans 8 and other texts, far more significance than that. In Arminianism, I think God's electing work is drained of most of its significance and its power. So let me illustrate this. In Ephesians 1, Paul goes on a tear praising God for his saving power and grace. Starting in verse 3, he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has, be- he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul is here praising the gracious work of God, before time began. His choosing work is the root of his people being holy and blameless before him. It is the root of our adoption to himself as sons, as the text says. Why are we blessed with every spiritual blessing? Why are we holy before him? Why are we adopted? According to Ephesians 1, because God in his grace had a purpose of will to choose to unite us to Christ through faith all by grace. From my vantage point, Arminianism interprets this text like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he knew who would believe in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he knew who would experience adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It seems so odd to read that text as though in the midst of this praise, Paul would point out multiple times something as simple as God knew who would believe in him ahead of time. When he talks about being chosen in him before the foundation of the world, it seems odd to think that all Paul means by that is God knew ahead of time who would believe in him. I mean, it seems very specifically odd if that's all it amounts to. Paul simply does not seem to be marveling at God knowing a piece of information ahead of time. And that's not to say that that reality that God knows all things, that he's outside of time, is not something to marvel at. I'm saying in these specific instances, it seems odd to interpret that that's all the text means. Paul here is marveling at God actually doing something, not just knowing what's going to be done in the future. He's marveling at the reality that we've been made alive, given every blessing in the heavenly places, united to Christ and adopted by God. This is what he's marveling at. And he's marveling that all this happened by God single-handedly. 
It was God who blessed us, God who chose us, God who predestined us, God who had a purpose of will. You get the drift. Marvel more. This rescue and the execution of this rescue all started before the foundation of the world when he, quote, chose a bunch of sinners to have mercy on. That wasn't just God knowing something before the foundation of the world, just knowing information ahead of time, but that was God actually doing something, planning something, getting something done according to, quote, the purpose of his will. So Romans 8 and Ephesians 1 do not chalk God's choosing, predestining work up to merely having knowledge about redemption in the future. They speak about God's choosing, predestining work as him actually doing something, moving uh, the redemption work and story forward. So I think the Calvinist position has a more biblically faithful understanding of election, that it is that it is God actually doing something. And for Christians, election is not something for us to be confused about, but again and again, it's something for us in the Bible to be encouraged and comforted by. This is how it can be applied in your life in a in, in the most comfort, comforting, encouraging way. Because you can say, man, why do I believe in Jesus? How did I come to faith? Was this something I did? Was this a, a work of my own? And the Bible would say, no. The Bible would say, before you were created, before the foundations of the world were even created, God knew you. You weren't there yet. You weren't in existence yet. But the Bible would say, before the foundation of the world, he foreknew you. And he elected you, and he chose you to have mercy on you. He wasn't obligated to have mercy on you, uh, but he wanted to. In the heart of God, he wanted to. That is grace. That is mercy. And so when you think of election, you think of grace. When you think of election, you think of mercy. You think of wild, undeserved grace and mercy. Okay, what's ahead of us is to talk about the atonement and to talk about whether or not Christians can lose their salvation. So, until next time.